Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. God's doing some incredible things and you don't want to miss. Uh, uh, how many of you have had a busy week this week? Raise your hand. Everybody have a busy week? Anybody have a good week this week? Yeah, all right, all right. It could have been worse, you know. <laughs> Those of you that go, I didn't have a good week. Well, it, it could have been worse. Well, it's been an interesting week. Um, Woody and I and my father jumped in a van and, and uh, joined a, several thousand people at our bishop's funeral this week. And I want to tell you something. If you haven't watched that online, you need to go watch that online. That wasn't a funeral. That was a worship service, man. It was awesome. It was incredible. And if you'd like to see that, you can come see me, and I'll tell you how to find it. But, man, it was, I had church. It was good. It was good. Anytime you have Gary Oliver open it up in the first song, you know it can't be bad. Those of you who don't know who Gary Oliver is, you just don't know church. I mean, whew. He, he ushered us into the presence, and it was just powerful. And uh, I know Dr. Carpenter would have wanted it that way. Amen. It was just powerful. And then got to come home. Uh, we drove all night, got back Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I had the privilege. I told you this was coming, but I just want to verify and let you know everything went through. We signed the papers on the house, a couple houses over. Now we have that. That's a, I, I know you don't understand exactly yet what all that means, but that's, that's just part of our future and our destiny, and it was a really cool thing. The lady that lives there uh, that was going bankrupt uh, due to the, her husband's death sat across the table from me, and you never know what that's going to be like. Uh, you may, you know, there's this thing inside of me going, oh, man, she may be feeling like she's losing something. Man, she was ecstatic. She's like, you don't even know. She said, I now have hope again. She said, I'm moving into a better day, and so... I just signed that thing and was so excited, and I just believe that God is up to something. I, uh, after I got out of there, I emailed an architect that we're working with. Here in a couple of weeks, we'll be sitting down with him to develop a master plan for all this property that God is blessing with us with, and we want to make the right decisions. It's not a time to pull back. It's not a, a time to say, well, we've gone as far as we can go. No, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. God is doing some cool and incredible things. I don't know if you know it. Uh, sometimes I, t I tell my leadership team I'm horrible about uh, celebrating victories because I'm already beyond it and moving to something else. But sometimes we need to stop and recognize that God is doing something right now. And whether you recognize you need to recognize it and know. I, I said last week in the message uh, we talked about giving God a preview that I, I am longing for the day. And I believe we're starting to see it where the blessing on the corporate house begins to flow down to your individual homes. And we're seeing that uh, Vicki Prince has been looking for a job, went in to pay her insurance bill. And the lady, as she's taking her money, said, you want a job? Uh, yeah. I, I, do I need to apply? No, you got it right now here on the spot. What? Started, I guess, the next day. That's a miracle. Another miracle. Danny went to the hospital, concerned about all the medical bills. And y'all know doctors ain't cheap. They don't play. And they're, they're, they'll take you, man. They'll get you everything they can get. He's in there for how many? Three days. I get two, three days. Comes out. They didn't do nothing. Gave him like a $9 million IV or however much those things are. And walks out of there going, oh, no, here come all these medical bills. And lo and behold, his job goes, hey, you don't have to pay any of that. We got all that covered. Don't worry about it. His insurance. He had insurance. Y'all don't even understand what all God's doing. And, and we just need to stop and celebrate sometimes and recognize that what others see about us is really happening. 
Dr. Carpenter used to walk in here and go, you ain't even seen nothing yet. And I'd go, okay, I'm going to believe like you believe, <laughs> you know. And he would encourage us to recognize that God is doing something bigger than what we see right now. In fact, I got a text last night, late last night, an individual that comes about every six months rolls in just to see what's going on. He's one of our uh, guys that celebrates us, texted me and said, hey, you don't understand. I see passion like this and he began to list what he saw and I'm sitting there going wow that is incredible he sees that and he's not even a part of us that ought to encourage us this morning to recognize that you are a crucial part of what God is doing here God doesn't do that without you Uh, three of you believe that God doesn't do that kind of stuff without you and so it's just an exciting day. Well, last week I talked to you about giving God a preview. Uh, this week I want to preach another kind of standalone message. And, and then next week we're going to do something special. And then in two weeks we're going to start a series called Modern Family. And I just want to give you an up, uh, kind of a heads up. It doesn't matter if you're married, single, whatever. You need to be a part of that series. We're going to share some stuff with you that I think is really powerful. And on the third week of that series we're going to do something that I believe may be one of the most prominent practical things you've ever done that will position you that that for some of you could change the trajectory of your your marriage or if you're not married when you get married it, it could change all of that as good as your relationship right now is I know you got the perfect marriage but as good as it is right now I, I'm convinced that that third week we're going to do something that could help you in the future have even a better relationship so I encourage you to, to be here as a part of that amen God's doing some good things now now let me take you into a passage of scripture that's going to be really odd Considering what we've just experienced and encountered in the presence of God, I I want you to join me in Numbers chapter 16. I'm going to read a pretty substantial piece of Scripture. Uh, We're going to read Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip down and read chapter uh, verses 16 through 35. And, and I understand after we've just encountered what we've encountered, this is going to seem like an odd passage. But I want you to stick with me this morning. I, I'm going to take you somewhere. Numbers chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Hard names in here. So if I, if I stumble over the hard names, I'll just say hard names. But here we go. Getting on his high horse one day, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. Uh, what do they do? Along with a few Reubenites, Dathan and Abraham, sons of Eliab, Here's your good name for a kid. And on, that's a good name, on, son of Peleth, rebelled against Moses. And he had with him 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel, prominent men with positions in the council. They came as a group and confronted Moses and Aaron, saying, You've overstepped yourself. This entire community is holy, and God is in their midst. So why do you act like you're running the whole show? Interesting, interesting. On hearing this, Moses threw himself face down on the ground. Then he addressed Korah and his gang. And he said, this is what he said. In the morning, God will make clear who is on his side, who is holy. God will take his stand with the one he chooses. So now, Korah, here's what I want you and your gang to do. Tomorrow, take censers in the presence of God, put fire in them, and then incense. Then we'll see who's holy, see whom God chooses. Sons of Levi, you've overstepped yourselves. Verse 16. Moses said to Korah, bring your people before God tomorrow. Appear with them and and Aaron and have each man bring a censer filled with incense and present it to God, all 250 censers. And you and Aaron do the same, bring your censers. And so they all did it. They brought their censers filled with fire and incense and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting and Moses and Aaron did the same 
And it was Korah and his gang against Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the entire community, now we need to stop right there and recognize that most commentaries state at this point that the children of Israel have grown into a congregation of people of about a million folks at least. And some say even as high as four million. Uh, so, so here it is, right out in front of a million to four million people, they meet out in front of the tabernacle. And it says the entire community could see the glory of God. And God said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourself from this congregation so that I can finish them off and be done with them. In other words, God said to Moses and Aaron, get out of the way, I'm going to kill everybody. Ever had one of those kind of days? No, y'all ain't never had one of those kind of days. God had one of those days, and this is what happened. Moses and Aaron threw themselves on their faces and said, Oh God, God of everything living, when one man sins, are you going to take it out on the whole community? God spoke to Moses, speak to the community, tell them, back off from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abram, and the leaders of Israel followed him. And, and he spoke to the community and said this, back off from the tents of these bad men. Don't touch a thing that belongs to them, lest you be carried off on the flood of their sins. So, so they all backed away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram by now had come out and were standing at the entrance to their tents with their wives, their children, and their babies. And Moses continued to address the community. This is how you'll know that it was God who sent me to do all these things and that it wasn't anything I cooked up on my own. If these men die a natural death like all the rest of us, you'll know that it wasn't God who sent me. But if God does something unprecedented, if the ground opens up and swallows the lot of them and they are pitched alive into Sheol, then you'll know that these men have been insolent with God. Moses must have been a good preacher because all of a sudden, the words were hardly out of his mouth when the earth split open. And the earth opened its mouth and in one gulp swallowed them down, the men and their families and all the human beings connected with Korah, along with everything they owned. And that was the end of them, pitched alive into Sheol. The earth closed up over them and that was the last the community heard of them. And at the sound of their cries, everyone around ran for dear life, I guess so, uh, shouting, we're about to be swallowed up alive. Then God sent lightning. The fire cremated the 250 men who were offering the incense. Uh, by the way, this was a bad day. I, I know you've had a bad day, but, but this is a bad, bad, bad day. I mean, it's one thing to make a mistake when you're all by yourself. Y'all ever done one of those where you do something and you're glad there's nobody around? I mean, like you're going down the escalator in the mall and you fall flat on your face and you hop up real quick and hope nobody noticed? I know y'all ain't never done that. I, I, I testify. Uh, uh, bad day. I mean, you make a mistake and there's, man, it's one thing to make a mistake when there's nobody around to watch it. But it's an entirely different deal when you make a, a mistake right out in front of God. And everybody, ever had one of those days where you make a fool of yourself and everybody sees? That is this account. This, this perhaps, I, 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 I've thought through scripture and perhaps other than, no, 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 get this, other than the fall of Satan from heaven when he rebelled against God, other than that moment, which is recorded in scripture, this 
is perhaps the most significant moment of rebellion recorded in the entire canopy of Scripture. How many of you know that coming in second place only behind Satan is not one of the achievements that you want to strive for? Yeah. Uh, Korah makes such a bad mistake and makes such a bad decision that he comes in second only to Satan and right out in front of God and everybody, he is an idiot. I mean, you think about this, not only that, it's so bad that it's now recorded in Scripture. Somebody, Somebody took notes of just how bad it was. It was so bad that they recorded in Scripture for generations to recall and to remember. Uh, It must have become apparent that due to hard-headedness and hard-heartedness that the children of Israel who had been captive to the Egyptians for hundreds of years and had miraculously been delivered, it must have become apparent uh, somewhere around Numbers chapter 14 or Numbers chapter 15, Moses makes it apparent that these same individuals who had escaped slavery in Egypt and were supposed to be headed towards their promised land, it now becomes apparent because they wouldn't trust God, wouldn't believe God, wouldn't live like they were supposed to, that they're not going to be able to enter the promised land. Moses has declared now that everybody over 40 years old would have to die wandering aimlessly into the wilderness and would not obtain the promise. And I don't know if that's what caused it. I kind of venture to believe that it is, is that we roll into Numbers chapter 16 and all of a sudden Korah no longer wants to follow Moses and Korah gathers 250 prominent men. They're on the council. They have influence. They have reputations to uphold. People respect them and look up to them. And Korah gathers his gang, his clique, his club, and they confront publicly. They chastise publicly Moses. He tries to veil it he comes against Moses about the type of tassel that should hang from the priestly garments but I don't think that's what really had him mad I think he had suddenly realized I'm not going to get to go into the promise because this man said it and I don't like that and if I can get rid of him I'll take over and we'll go get the promise I, I'm just uh, I'm just uh, imagining maybe 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 it really was the tassel but I, I ain't never seen a tassel yet that I'm willing to get swallowed up by earth for I, but a promised land flowing with milk and honey ah, yeah I might have but whatever the cause he he suddenly recognizes that he's not going to get what he wants and so he confronts Moses he calls Moses out publicly he 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 tries to take over it's a coup it's a a, a mutiny it's a full-on rebellion it's a power struggle extraordinaire it's a call for the people to choose a side choose this day are you going to follow Aaron and 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 Moses, are you going to let me lead you? It's a, it's a line drawn in the sand moment. There's accusations that are flying. There's fury everywhere. People are angry. The tension could be cut with a knife. It was a bad, bad day. And in the middle of this street fight, God shows up. How bad does it get? Well, God picks a side. In power and and leaving absolutely no room for any shadow of a doubt, 
in one fatal swoop, he approves the leadership of Moses and the ground opens up and Korah and all the folks that are attached to him are swallowed up alive. And then just, I guess, there needed to be a cherry on the top of the icing. There needed to be a defining moment as if swallowed up by the ground ain't enough. God says, oh, and lightning comes out of the sky and the other 250 men are cremated right in front of them. It was a bad day. And you got to understand, I hope you've got the picture in your mind of what it was like. you got to understand what just happened in front of their friends, in front of all their associates, in front of their business partners, in front of their neighborhood association, right out in front of God and everywhere. There was nowhere to hide. There was nowhere to run. And there was no way to escape their stupidity and their bad decision and their attitude. They're swallowed up. Can you imagine the disgrace? Can, can you imagine that, that now for the million to four million people that uh, they were esteemed, they were, they were respected, perhaps even revered, but now they're the butt of every joke. I, I, I think probably for decades to come, uh, it, it went down like this when Junior would rise up, fill in his oats a little bit, look at his daddy and say, hey, Dad, I'm taking the chariot. I'm going to go out on town tonight. You can't do nothing about it. And Daddy goes, no, you ain't taking the chariot. You're grounded. He says, you can't tell me what to do. I have this, this, this imagination that for decades to come that Daddy would look at that young teenage boy and go say, don't you pull a Cora on me. Yeah, I, I think when parents sit around campfires talking about their kids and, and what they experienced, they would use Cora like that. Hey, my kid had a Cora moment this week. He tried to rebel against me. And that's what it was like. They become the whispers, the, the behind-the-scene jokes. It was a bad but I want to take you to another passage of Scripture this morning that might shed some light on what took place. I understand that when I read this passage of Scripture to you, you're not going to understand. I understand that it's going to seem like it doesn't connect. When I, when I read what I'm going to read, you're going to go, this makes no sense. This has nothing to do with what happened in Numbers chapter 16. I understand. I understand. Just wait. Because I want to take you into Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42 is a great portion of Scripture because we love it. Uh, we went about 15, 20 years ago, this passage of Scripture was so cool. We sang it in a chorus, and man, it was, it was rocking back then. Now it's kind of mellow, and we don't sing it anymore. But, but, but I mean, we used to sing this, and, and it would usher us into the presence of God. You can probably quote it. It says, Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 and 2 says this, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul. Pants for you. Y'all remember that? How in the world does that connect to Numbers chapter 16? You don't see the connection? Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. I forgot to tell you the part, to read you the part that connects. See, what connects is not the passage of Scripture that was written. 
depending on the version of the Bible that you have in your lap right now, some, some of them still list this. Others don't. I know the New International Version, if you've got that in your lap, you see it right there. I, I didn't read to you the signature of that psalm. David didn't write this psalm. I'm getting ready to help you. Just hang on. Here's the connection. Psalms chapter 42. The signature is this. It's a mascal. A teaching of the sons of Korah. Y'all missed it. Y'all, y'all, y'all missed it. The sons of Korah. The ones who belonged to the daddy who blew it. The, the, the disgraced ones, the subject of ridicule, the same descendants that, that watched as their father rebelled against Moses and in essence rebelled against God, that became the butt of all the jokes, that became the scorn, that became the laughing stock. The, the same descendants now during the days of David, during the reign of David, that same group of individuals they are writing and leading worship in the temple. Uh, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to just take you. There are not a lot of them, but maybe I ought to just flip you on forward to Psalm chapter forty-six, because in Psalm chapter forty-six, it's another one of those psalms that is ascribed to the sons of Korah, and out of what they experienced and what they saw, they wrote this. In Psalm chapter forty-six, verses one through three, it says, "God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be." Removed. One version says it like this. Though the earth be shaken. If anybody understood what it was like to stand on the sidelines and watch the earth to be shaken, they understood. They took the actual encounter, the experience of their own daddy, and now they turn it into a psalm of worship and praise. And they say, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, God is our refuge and our strength. In fact, Psalm chapter 46 becomes the basis of Luther's, Martin Luther's, song a mighty fortress is our God ever sung that one it became the, th the anthem of the Protestant Reformation the very account of rebellion the very account of a mistake the very account of this ridicule on this bad decision become the basis of praise and worship in the house and the temple of God sons of a rebel Sons of the laughingstock, sons of the one, if not the most, one of the most disgraced, the most notorious, one of the most disliked people in the history of a nation. The sons of a daddy now rise up and move beyond what he did, and they end up leading worship and serving God and ministering faithfully. How many of you know that the sons of Korah had every right to be bitter? I would have been bitter against God. You killed my daddy. Where's all this grace, God? He stood up one time, opened his mouth, you killed him. Right out in front of everybody. They could have been bitter. I think I'd have been angry at my dad. Just eat too many Wheaties that day, Dad. Had to stand up. Couldn't you just shut up? Couldn't you go back in and watch ESPN just a little bit longer? You had to open your mouth. And now because of you, I got this stigma on me. I got this reputation. I would have changed my name. 
I'd have wrote that psalm in chapter 42, and it'd been, it would have said, a mascot of the son of Jerry. I'd have come up with something. Something. I ain't carrying Korah around. They should have had their heads hung in embarrassment. They should have been red-faced until the very end. But instead, somehow, some way, the offspring of a God-destroyed rebel now are in the temple, on the platform, leading an entire nation in praise. So here's my question. Who's your daddy? What mistake, what sin, what choice, what decision, what broken relationship, what opening did you give the enemy? What, what did you do 10 years ago that you think everybody knows about that now you allow it? What, what, is, what is it that in, in your past that continues to bind you up and to keep you in bondage and cause you to refuse to walk into victory and refuse to serve and refuse to worship and refuse to give and refuse to... What is it? What is it that holds you in the shackles of shame and what is it that causes you to fear and what is it that causes you to duck your head and what is it that causes you to think you're disqualified see I understand that your world gets swallowed up I understand that the divorce caused you to duck your head and feel less than I understand that your failure not only changed the hue of your cheeks, it changed your outlook on life. I understand that the public humiliation not only took the wind out of your sails, it took the joy out of your life. And you've become the butt of every joke and you feel crippled and you feel crushed and you feel broken and you feel bitter. But what is it that you've allowed to swallow you whole? For some of you, it wasn't even your decision. It wasn't even your choice. These guys could have said, Daddy, we didn't have nothing to do with that. They didn't. They didn't stand up there in rebellion. This is hundreds of years later, and then they stand up and lead worship. They had no choice in this matter, and yet the stigma and the reputation and the wrong name was attached to them. Some of you are living right now in moments that you didn't choose to live in. Some of you are going down paths that you would not have picked. Some of you are enduring pain and discouragement and, 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 and afflictions that you had no choice in them, but they swallowed you up. My concern is, is that some of you are still living at the point of rebellion. And some of you are still standing at the line of pain. And some of you are still locked up in the moment of embarrassment. And some of you are still ducking your head because of your mistake. And I just came to encourage somebody and tell you this morning that it is time to move on. 
it is time to recognize that although you may have had no choice and although the result of that choice or maybe it was the result of your choice and may and although it may be painful and although there may have been fallout that does not mean that you have to allow that thing to debilitate you and to cripple you and to bind you up for the rest of your life. You can learn a lesson from the teaching of the sons of Korah and recognize that in the midst of all your shame and in the midst and re- in the light of all your pain, that doesn't have to shut you up and set you down. You can still move forward. You can rise above it. You don't have to duck your head. You don't have to sit on the sidelines any longer. You are not disqualified. I find way too many people that seem to think they're disqualified. I can't pray for healing because of what I did. I can't worship God because the people that are in here worshiping with me, they know where I was on Friday night. They heard what I said last week, and therefore I am disqualified. They know the decisions that I made that broke up my relationship, that broke up my life, that broke up my future, and they, they now I'm, I've got shame, and, and so I'm disqualified. So I'm just going to sit here and mind my business and I'm going to live an unfruitful, unhappy life and I deserve it. You need to learn something from the sons of Korah. That you may never have the privilege of writing a song that others sing. But even in in the face of all that went wrong, You can have the privilege of living a life that others will follow. You may never stand in a temple and instruct others on how to worship. But if you would learn the lesson from the teachings of the sons of Korah, what you would recognize today is that you can stand on the stage of your failure and on the platform of your brokenness and you can get up right in the middle of all your mistakes and you can teach other people how to live again and how to worship again and how to serve again. The day has arrived for you to live the divorce down. The day has arrived for you to live the dismissal down. The day has arrived for you to live the embarrassment down. The day has arrived for you to live the shame down. You cannot allow what happened back then to dictate to you what you are going to do for God now. And I wished I would have been the one to coin this phrase, but I didn't, so I don't even know who to give credit to. I just know what's powerful, and that is this. God never consults your past to determine your future and to determine your destiny. And some of you are allowing the shame of yesterday. Some of you are stuck to 20 years ago. Hear me this morning. Some of you are stuck to 20 years ago. And it is time to stand up again and declare, though the earth be shaken and the mountains are removed, I will trust in God again. See, I could take you through Scripture and show you example after example of men and women who had apparently learned the lesson from the sons of Korah. Or better yet, maybe I could take you to my mirror and show you somebody that's learned that God doesn't count all that against us. We all got dirt. We all make mistakes. We all make poor decisions. 
we got to learn to rise up again. Now, if I wanted to, y'all, y'all don't know my dirt, but I know a lot of y'all's dirt. I could go row by row and call some of you by name and talk about the mistakes that you've made. I just look at folks that need to learn that that's not the final chapter. That's not the final word. That is not the declaration or even the destiny that God has over you. Learn the lesson of the sons of Korah. It's time for you to live, Daddy. And so this morning, I want to end like this. I speak to your failures. I speak to your pain. I speak to the mistakes you made. The enemy is described in Scripture as the accuser of the brethren. His one job in life is to crawl up on this shoulder. And every time you feel like you're about to break through, he will remind you. Bring to your remembrance of who you slept with before you were married. And where you spent your Friday nights. And what came out of your mouth. And the attitude. You fill in the blank. What does he use on you? He uses something different on all of us. What does he use on you? That's his job. But the Bible declares that every voice that rises up in accusation will be destroyed and will be silenced. And so I speak to your failure and I speak to your disappointments and I speak to your pain and I speak to your bad decisions and I declare that yes, they happened to you, but that's not who you are. That was one moment in your life. That's not your destiny. If you would just rise up one more time and shout one more time and sing one more time and serve one more time, you would have learned the lessons of core and you would be leading people to a new day. I want you to stand with me this morning. Father, I wish I could say this morning that in this house there were perfect people. And we can sure act like it sometimes, but we're full in ourselves. The truth is this morning, Father, is that none of us are perfect. There, every one of us have moments, Cora moments. We pulled Cora's on you. We rebelled against you. We went out when we should have stayed home. We copped an attitude against you when we should have kept our mouth shut. We made decisions that we knew were not in line with what you said. Every last one of us, we are not perfect. 
And I don't know how they did it, God. I don't know how you move past shame in front of four million people. But they did it. They outgrew it. They outlived it. They outworshipped it. So, Father, for my people today, many of them, I know many of their stories, and I know many of them haven't quite walked into the promised land, and they haven't quite experienced victory at the level of victory that you have for them. I know some of their stories and know that some of them have yet to, to fulfill the dreams and the destiny and the plans that you have for them. And many times I catch them with their head ducked and embarrassed and ashamed. But Father, somehow, someway this morning, I pray that the lessons of the sons of Korah would penetrate our hearts and you'd wipe away the shame and you would live up to what we call you. You're the bomb of Gilead. You remove the scar, you remove the poison, and although we may never forget, we can come to the place where the memory doesn't dictate the rest of our life. And so God, this morning, I, I, I just speak over my people. I pray for them specifically. Father, I pray for anyone that's had a major failure. I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that's had a major failure. They made a big time, embarrassing, life altering mistake. And Father, this morning, I speak freedom over them. I curse the shame and the intimidation and the embarrassment and the fear and I declare over them that they will not live one more day bound by what happened to them but they will begin to allow you to define who they are and although they may always be known as the son or the daughter of that thing I pray that somehow, some way you would allow them to rise up and begin to lead people into life and into freedom and into wholeness. Because if they can keep their head held high and if they can still raise their hands in worship and if they can still declare that God is good and if they can still say I'll trust Him and if they can still put their hope and trust in God, then surely I can because I know what they went through to get to where they are. So, Father, I pray you'd set them free. They wouldn't be ashamed. Not one moment longer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I refuse to embarrass you any further. Some of you feel like the whole world knows, and maybe they do. Some of you think that the decisions and the choices that you make will be one of those decisions and choices that will never allow you to see all that God wanted for you. You think you're so 
messed up and so far gone. Such a different path now that you'll never see God fulfill His Word over your life. I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. You've endured enough embarrassment, but I certainly want to be able to pray intelligently for you this morning and this week. If you're here and that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, not even my prayer team, this is, this is just between me and you. If you're here and you say, Steve, that's me, that's how I feel. I feel like that. Would you just quickly raise your hand and pull it right back down? Nobody's looking around. Yeah, there's one. Anybody? Yeah, two, three. Yeah, anybody else that's made silly choices, decisions. Maybe somebody, yeah, another one. Some, maybe somebody's made a decision for you. Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah, I thought so. I didn't choose this, Steve. But now I'm embarrassed. You can put them down. I am convinced that God brought you here today so that you can be set free. If I had the ability, I'd reach right in your stomach, gut, soul, whatever you want to call it right now, and I'd pull out every bit of shame. That's what happened to you. That's not who you are. You need to hear the word of the Lord today. Every voice that rises in accusation, I demand in the name of Jesus that it be silenced. And I pray that men sons and daughters of the Most High God would rise up. Rise up. In the rightful place of sonship and being a daughter of the Most High King. And I pray that you'd wipe the slate clean and I pray that when they remember, they would remember with no pain. And I pray that when they reflect, they would be able to reflect with no shame. And they would walk from this day forward into freedom. I want you to reach over and lay your hand on your neighbor. You don't know whether your neighbor raised their hand or not, but many of you right now are standing next to folks that feel ashamed. And Father, as we connect, Jesus, you were never afraid to touch people. There were some people that, if I'd been you, I don't know that I would have touched. Lepers. Women caught in adultery. But you never pulled back, Jesus. You always reached out. And so, Father, this morning I pray that as these individuals that raised their hands, and maybe some who should have, as they feel that touch applied to them, I pray that in essence what they would really feel is the hand of Jesus. A hand of acceptance, a hand of healing, a hand of mercy and grace. And they would recognize that that is the touch they've been longing for. And they're not what they were and they're not who everybody says they were. They are who you say they are. Walk them into freedom, I pray. In Jesus' name, would you take about 30 seconds and find somebody next to you and love on them as if their life depended on it because it may.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 